Good morning, good morning, good morning. I know 60 seconds is not a lot of time, but you would uh, have a seat and open your Bibles. I hope you brought them. If you don't have a Bible, we have some free in the back. You're going to need them if you're at this church for any amount of time. Uh, Today I'm going to be in several different places, so they will be up on the screen, though I've toyed with not putting them up on the screen to force people to make sure I'm actually... Uh, telling you the right thing or reading the right thing, you have to open your own Bible. But um, I know for many of us who have little ones, it's a little easier to see up on the screen. So uh, my name is Sam. Sam, I get the privilege of preaching a lot of the time here, so I'm just going to open with prayer, and then we'll get into uh, God's Word. So bow with me if you would. Father God, we thank You for who You are, and I pray, especially this week, that You'll remind us who You are. Your Word says in Psalm 46 to be still and know that You are God. To Let us focus, therefore, on the nature and the unchanging nature of Your character and not the ever-changing character of our circumstances and the world around us. But we plead to You, Father, and cry out to You right now in this tragedy that we have experienced and reminds us of others that we've experienced many times like it. Help us to grieve what we do not fully understand. Remind us of our need for rescue. And lead us to the cross where your love overwhelmed the hatred of men. We glorify in you, we celebrate you, we praise you, and help our minds and hearts and energies be driven by, for, and with you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, start off with one verse to kind of set the tone for where we're going today. Uh, and it is 1 John 4.19. You may have heard this verse before. It's very simple, but it's one you should remind yourself of. It says this, We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. Perhaps we could say we give because He first gave to us. We're in the third week of uh, what we call our Advent series. If you're new, normally we go straight through books of the Bible. And we'll start doing that again in January, going straight through 1 Corinthians verse by verse. But in Christmas, we take a break. We do a three or four part series. This week, uh, or this year, it's been called um, Give. The series is not titled, as I said, Tithe, Double Honor, or What Would Jesus Spend? And that's because uh, a series... This particular series is not designed to make up some budget deficit, ensure a blessing for your pastor, or launch a fundraising campaign to build the next Crystal Cathedral in Snohomish County. It's not what it's about. The series is titled Give, and we believe that good giving, whether it is your time or your treasure or the talents that God has given you, begins with good theology. In other words, although it might be difficult sometimes as we go through this, the series is not about you, it's not about us. It's not about our giving. It's about God and how He gave to us. And my prayer is that that's where our focus goes to. Uh, It's a very important series because many of us, quite frankly, live, although we will not admit it, the very opposite of what Jesus taught. We believe... That's better to receive, not give, though we may say different. And few of us, I think, will ever admit, and I said this in the first sermon, that we're greedy, or that we're materialistic, or that we're wealthy. In fact, I think we're somewhat blind to it. 
especially in the culture we live in. There's always someone greedier than us, someone a little more materialistic, someone a little wealthier. So it's an important series for us. It's also a timely series because, as I said, we live in an extremely consumeristic culture and it's the perhaps most consumeristic time of the year. And sadly, people are going to spend uh, more money and accumulate more stuff for this one holiday than they have given all year to Jesus, whose birth the holiday celebrates, which is just weird and tragic. So it's a timely series, but it's honestly a pretty dangerous series because it has the potential for you to either hate me or hate your sin. One of the two should happen. I'm hoping for one and not the other, but I realize that when you start preaching about giving, you just start talking about money, stuff, people get really perturbed. And things can be twisted and misunderstood and dismissed or just deflected onto someone else. Yeah, that person's really greedy. And so I have that concern. It's a dangerous series a little bit. But I believe that good giving, right giving, doesn't begin with good people because quite frankly, the Bible says there are none. Good giving begins with good theology, the study of who God has revealed Himself to be. And the Bible reveals God to be very good, very gracious, and very giving. And He gave in very specific ways, I think, to both motivate and to guide how we give. Like there's some very clear examples to follow. We saw that God gave generously, so we sacrifice. What's that mean? We give till it hurts. Otherwise, it's not generous. It should impact our lifestyle. We saw last week that God gave intentionally. So we plan. It's not just spontaneous, though there's nothing wrong with that kind of extra blessing, if you will. We plan for all kinds of things. Sign all kinds of contracts of various sorts. The question is, do we plan our giving to God? And today, we're talking about God giving volitionally, which should cause us to love. I know volitional is a big word, but we'll talk about that. Just think of willingly. So giving of our time and our talent and our treasure, and that's just a very um, nice way of talking about all the things we have to give, is supposed to be our response to the person and work of Jesus. It's supposed to be a response, not to obtain some kind of response from God. It's our response to God. That's what it's supposed to be. And so, I'm going to be really frank with you. If someone, if you, so you can deal with someone, but if you have to be convinced or persuaded or otherwise forced into giving, you do not understand the grace of God. You just don't get it. There are a lot of reasons that people use for not giving. Not giving to the church. Not giving to people in need. Stuff like, I can't afford it. Um, I'll be taken advantage of. Um, I just don't like it. The people I give, they they don't deserve it. Um, They're going to waste it. They won't appreciate it. So if you struggle with giving, I'm not talking about necessarily the practicality of it, like how to figure it out, but really the, the, the deeper spiritual, like there is no desire there to give. 
there really is no sense in talking to you about how God expects you to give. I'm not interested in persuading you, quite frankly. Um, you might believe that God is your creator, but that is evidence enough for me, and I am no judge, but the Bible is pretty clear that God is your creator, but not your father. Because there is a difference. You find, uh, for those who have no really, you know, I just, I like my stuff, and not really motivated to give to anyone. If giving is that undesirable, you're, quite frankly, finding your identity in the world. You love the world, and you don't find your identity in Jesus, and you don't love Him. Because it's supposed to be our response. So the last thing I want to do, I'm just trying to be really honest, the last thing I want to do, if that is who you are, and I haven't said any names, so I have no clue if that's who you are, the last thing I want to do is talk you into giving any more of your time or your talent or your treasure if it's really not your heart's desire. That's not my goal. To guilt you into doing it. And for those who don't love Jesus, like you know you don't love Jesus, you're kind of playing the religious game. You may look religious. You got the, you got the language. You got the clothes. You got the you know, stories about all the things that you've done for Jesus, with Jesus. But really, when it comes down to it, Jesus doesn't know you, and you don't know Jesus, and you don't love Him. If that's you, but you are giving to the church or to others, you should probably stop. Which is maybe unusual and stupid for a pastor to say. But you should probably stop. Because you're giving for the wrong reasons. You wouldn't be the first person, though, to uh, give for the wrong reasons. Um, Because there's a lot of wrong reasons to give. Some give out of guilt, and people feel bad for maybe how they live, or how they've lived, and so their giving is like some kind of penance for living selfishly most of the time, or in the past. And this guilt can come from uh, bad pastors, right? Like, oh, you need to give, you sinner. I mean, that can come. Certainly people may have experienced that. Other times, it can come from God. Where you feel the sense of guilt um, because there's a good God who does want you to know and understand the debt that you have, but not to believe that you can actually pay for it. There's an interesting verse in, uh, in Psalm 49 for those who are giving out of guilt like you think you can kind of pay your debt by doing that, do enough good to get you out of it. Um, Psalm 49.7 says, Truly no man can ransom another. Or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. So it's not going to work. But people give out of guilt. Some give out of fear. Uh, Not only are they afraid of what people think, because they want them to think them generous, they believe that if they don't give, God is going to reject them. And I will just tell you, uh, God isn't interested in your money, or neither are we. He wants you to give Him your heart. And He wants you really to receive first His love and His forgiveness and His grace. So some give out of fear. Fear they're going to lose God. and It's not the right motivation. And, and some give out of greed, though they wouldn't call it greed. And what I mean by greed is that some give in order to receive something greater in return. And I, I 
I rec- recognize that, you know, there's the love languages. There's some people that just love to give. Give, 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 and that's just kind of their language. Um, some are service, and some are all kinds of things. And so there are those people, but a lot of people give because they want to feel good about themselves. Um, they're motivated by wanting to make others feel good about them. So they want to be loved by others. Uh, a lot of people, quite frankly, a lot of Christians, religious people, give because they want to obtain blessing from God. That's why they're giving. I'm going to give because if I give, God's going to give to me. You reap what you sow. I'm going to give. He's going to promise blessing, and they always mean prosperity, like literally material blessing. Wouldn't be blessed by sufferings. That would never be a blessing. But you're giving more to God in pursuit of more for yourself, not necessarily more for God. So it's greedy. And so all that to say, apart from God, apart from a a, a transformed heart by God, basically men give for the wrong reasons. But it doesn't mean they don't give. There's lots of people we know give that don't love Jesus. Lots of people who give who say they do love Jesus. And we all go, okay, why are they actually giving? Right giving, good giving, begins, I believe, with right theology. And so as the image bearers of God, we are commanded and we are empowered to give like God in some sense. God, as I said in the first sermon I preached, according to the Garden of Eden is where it started, He's the first giver and He's given all of us, the world much. Believer or not, He has given the world a ton. All the good things that have been created were a result of the gifts God has given, whether it be a sharp mind or skills or talents or materials, whatever. It's all from God. Anything there is to give or create came from God. We've all been blessed by it. But the question is, well, why does God give it all, right? I mean, the question like, why did God do any of this? Why did He create anything to give? Why does God give? And so there's a couple things you need to remember as we consider who God is before we ask that question. And one is our, our triune God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is holy and He is perfect in every way imaginable. Creation does not complete Him. Okay, that's really important. He doesn't need creation. He needs absolutely nothing. He is complete without us. God doesn't need us. How does that feel, right? When you consider that He wants us, it should actually transform maybe how you view God. But He doesn't need us. He needs nothing. And so God, when you talk about why He gives, He doesn't give out of guilt. He doesn't give out of fear. He doesn't give out of obligation. He doesn't give in order to obtain something He doesn't already have. God gives volitionally, meaning apart from any external influence, He chooses to give, and consider who He gives to, right? He chooses to give to rebellious, undeserving, ungrateful, ungodly people. That's us. Like, there are no other kinds of people. Do we understand that? There's not like, well, there's the grateful people, and then there's the ungrateful. I'm glad I'm on team grateful, right? That's not how it works. When God gives, though, it is secondarily for our benefit. Primarily, it is to display how awesome He is. How wonderful He is. All of this 
is designed, all of creation, that's us, everything we have, was designed to display the name of God. To proclaim the name of... Now, we have incredible benefits from Him doing that. But they're benefits. They're secondary to the primary purpose. His giving proclaims Him, among other things, we see lots of things in creation to see about God. He is beautiful. He's intelligent. He is all-powerful. All these things. But in His giving that He gives, we see something about His perfect love. His perfect love. Now there's a verse in 1 John. I love 1 John. And if you're wondering if you're a Christian or not, read 1 John. It'll kick your tail. It's an amazing study, but Amongst all of just the really hard, convicting words, there's some beautiful statements in there. 1 John 4.16 is one which says this, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. So, what does it mean that God is love? Seems like a really good statement to say. It's kind of one of those Christian-sounding statements, right? What I mean, like, you know, God is love. And everyone just kind of assumes that everyone understands what that means. Oh, of course He is. Amen. Right? Come on, you know there's tons of those things. We need to explain some of our language. God is love. Okay, so, if you just look at the world, like, what do we mean by love? That's what people will do. Okay, what is love? Let's look around. What is it? Well, the world is full of descriptions. Tons of descriptions of love. Some are good, some are bad. Some even sound biblical. Even 1 Corinthians 13, right? The great love chapter. Nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful. It's used in like every single wedding there ever was. It's about the church, but that's another issue. It's a great description. I'm not sure if it's a definition. But if you just look around the world, you'll see that all the descriptions we see are, are really descriptions of the love of men. Like how men and, and women, people, how they love each other. And they describe. And Genesis 3 tells us that all the love that we see in this world is affected by sin. So all the love that men and women have for one another, how we treat each other, it's somewhat off of God's design. There's nothing that perfectly expresses it amongst men. Apart from God, the love of men in its definition is always imperfect, always perverted, and always falling short. But the love of God isn't, right? The love of God is perfect. The love of God is not stained from sin. So we can't define the love of God by what we see. We have to define it by Scripture. And what Scripture tells us is that the love of God is infinitely, and I mean literally infinitely, because God has never created, so infinitely more than just sentimental feelings, more than just active affections, more than even faithful commitments. In fact, theologically, we would say that God's love means that He eternally, big word, right? That's like forever. Forever past, forever future. Forever. God eternally gives of Himself to others. Think about that. That's a theological definition of love. God eternally gives of Himself to others. Means that love is this self-giving for the benefit of others. 
So when we say God is love, the idea of His self-giving, His giving of everything He has, volitionally, willingly, not by force, is part of His very character and nature. And we are made in His image. So therefore we have some level of capacity. So, let's make it a little more tangible. Okay, What's that really look like? Well, God showed us. Through Jesus. So you want to see what love looks like? You know, often Jesus talked about love all the time. Let me show you. What does it say? Remember the famous football verse? John 3.16, right? It all starts there. God the Father sent Jesus. Why? To the world because, John 3.16, God so loved the world. He didn't say, God was so obligated to the world. God felt so guilty about the world that He gave His Son. Right? He says He loved the world. That He gave His Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And even Jesus knew that God loved Him. Knowing what He had to do. What did He say in John 3.35? The Father loved... This is Jesus talking. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. That includes the cross. And all that Jesus did, He said, all that Jesus gave, including His service and His life, was motivated by His love for God. Jesus said it. John 14.31 But I do as the Father has commanded Me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Right? He didn't say it so the world will know that I feel really bad that we created it and it got screwed up. He didn't say that. I'm doing all this so they know I love the Father. I'm giving all this so they know I love the Father. And before Jesus went to the cross to give His life for those that He loved, He told us that we were to imitate this kind of love. Right? He summarized the entire law, everything God wanted us to do, the picture of holiness that He gives us. What does He say in Matthew 22? You shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when I say love, remember, we've defined it. It's not just, oh, I want to feel really sentimental towards people. Really affectionate towards people. No, it's I want to give of myself. This self-giving. Everything you have. So our giving to God therefore, is, is intimately connected with the love of God. So trying to convince someone that they should give is like trying to convince someone that they should love. Good luck, right? That's, that takes something that's beyond my power. Something that's beyond all of our power. That's some, that takes an internal change that only God's capable of. So before we know the love of God, you actually may give of yourselves to others, but your motivation, get ready, will always be self-centered. It will always be self-centered and self-motivated. But when you experience the love of God, when, when the love of God comes flowing into your heart in a way that is mysterious, in a way that is unplanned, in a way that you can't manufacture, When the grace of God overwhelms you, when the forgiveness of God overwhelms you, when the overflowing blessings of God overwhelms you, everything changes. 
everything changes. And those who have responded to the love of Jesus, right? They, they feel that love. They cannot help. They cannot help but have their motivations radically transformed. Why we give and what we give, even to whom we give. And it turns from self-motivation. I'm not going to give because you don't deserve it. And it becomes driven by a love of Jesus, a love for Jesus, a love like Jesus, and a love to be with Jesus. So I would just ask you as you go, as you go through this, I'm going to honestly lay it out really simply. to Consider why you give or not. Because some of you don't give, and the fact is you need to receive the love of Jesus. And some of you do give, and the fact is you're doing it for the wrong reasons, and you need to receive the love of Jesus. Because it works on both sides. This is where our giving is supposed to be motivated by. And I'm speaking to those who honestly have experienced the love of God as in the only ones who are going to get it. Four things. Here we go, right? First and foremost and most importantly, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians and take your highlighter, your pen out, and scratch this baby up, star it, put little smiley faces around it. You want this verse circled. Our giving is to be motivated by a love of Jesus. Emphasis on of. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-15, one of my favorite verses. It says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. Alright, so here comes the this. The colon means this is the this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Our giving is to be motivated by the love of Jesus. When we put our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, then the love of Christ, it says, begins to control us. There is a difference between believing Jesus and following Jesus. Anyone can believe Jesus. The Bible says even the demons believe Jesus. But there's a difference between believing and following Jesus. Following Jesus, ready? Means that the governing force for your life is the love that Jesus has for you. Use the word control. Right? It holds you. It restrains you. It compels you. It holds your life together. And our desire to give, therefore, is generated by the love of Jesus in us. So any giving we happen, we go, there comes Jesus. It's like popping out. Left to ourselves, we would give to no one. And if that desire to give is not in there, then that's because... You are governed by a love of something else. It's called the self. So much so that that controls you. Self-preservation, self-promotion, all those things. But Jesus died. Check this out. When you believe that sinless Jesus, the only one who's ever sinless, that sinless Jesus died the death that your sins deserved. When you believe that, That self-centered, 
which no one will ever admit, mind you, these things. That self-centered, self-absorbed, self-reliant, self-glorifying person that was your old life dies with Him. And then through faith, you rise with Jesus from from the dead, a new person devoted to no longer living for yourself, but for Jesus. And that is why you give, because you are compelled to. You are compelled to give. It just happens. You may not know exactly how to give. You may not know who to give to, but the desire to give is there. And if it's not, you should be concerned. Dare I say, you may not be a Christian. Because our giving begins by motivation for the love or by the love of Jesus. And if you don't know the love of Jesus, you're certainly not going to be in love with Him. But the second thing is our giving is then motivated by a love for Jesus. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Keep going to the right. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So you're in 2 Corinthians and then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Verse chapter 3. Check out how Paul, who was in prison, writes about Jesus. Verse, I think I started in verse 6. We'll start in 7 actually. But whatever gain I had, he talked about all the things he had prior to his salvation. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for His sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage, dog poo, in order that I may gain Christ. That's how he views everything now. See, once you accept Jesus' love, you see the world entirely different. That, that famous hymn, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus, there's a line there that says, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, as we look full in His wonderful face, the things of this earth grow strangely dim. See, before Christ, we didn't give anything to anyone because we're so afraid of losing everything. It was so important to us. Our reputation, our money, our power. Those things like, no, protect, 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 self-preservation. But when our hearts are changed, we do all things out of a love for Jesus and we're willing to lose everything, even our lives. You know, it's very refreshing to see new believers in Christ. And I mean genuine new believers in Christ that are so excited about experiencing the love of Christ for the first time. And it reminds me of when, you know, like when you're first dating. I remember when I was first dating Kalen. And it's just an energy. You don't have to try, right? Like, I remember we'd sit in the movie theater, which we didn't go to movies that often, but you sit there and I knew... Like, all my energy and focus down the end of my little pinky, I knew every little nuance. Like, my hand was next to her leg. I knew, it was like, oh my gosh, my pinky may be touching her leg. Like, when we first start dating. Right? I mean, everything is like emphasized greatly. And exciting and and, and joyful and, and romantic and it's good. And in fact, I remember, as Paul writes, 
I suffer the loss of many things so that I could gain Caleb. Many things. I suffered the loss of money. I suffered the loss of sleep. I suffered the loss of gas as I drove back and forth to her house many times. I suffered the loss of friendship as my friends would go, come on, pals before gals. And I'm like, sorry dude, I'm gaining her. I suffered all kinds of things because I didn't care. I'd lose, I'd lose it all. I'd give it up so I could have her. Everything was considered rubbish. Because everything paled in comparison to getting this girl. You ever felt that way about Jesus? Do you feel that way about Jesus? There's a reason why the church in the book of Revelation, one of them is told, you've lost your first love. Our motivation for giving has to be out of a love for Jesus. I didn't have to try when I was dating Kaylin. And I don't have to try to love Jesus now. You got to try? Thirdly, your giving is motivated by a love for people as Jesus. Check it out. We're going to John. Go left. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay, first four books of the New Testament. John chapter 13, one of the chapters that you should read, though I warn you, it will feel convicting. Well, let's be honest. A lot of the Bible does that. 13.34 says this, Jesus speaking to His disciples, the twelve that are with Him in an upper room of some kind. He says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So our giving is, it begins with a love of Jesus. It is driven by love for Jesus. And then comes out as a love for people just like Jesus. He gave this command on the night that He was betrayed. So it was the last meal He's having with His boys. He's telling them all that's going to happen. And prior to the meal, what does He do? Anyone remember? Washes their feet. Mind you, the infinite Creator, eternal God-man washes the feet of His own creation. So He's washing feet that He created. Including the feet of a man who clearly didn't, quote, deserve it because he was going to betray Him within hours. Humility. What is the love of God? The self-giving for the benefit of those who deserve it? It's not what it says. The self-giving, the love for the benefit of others, even those who do not love Him. And then what does He do after He does this? He instructs His disciples to love one another in the same way. In fact, He says the distinguishing characteristic of His disciples will be a love for one another. The people of God church. So we don't give of our time and our money and our stuff because it's sinful to enjoy your time and your money and stuff and you should just not enjoy it. 
That's not true. God gave us stuff and creation to both manage and enjoy. And Jesus is not some cosmic killjoy who doesn't want you to enjoy the gifts that He has given you. But we give generously and sacrificially and all these things. And I'm not even talking about money, though that's certainly part of it. We give as disciples because we are overwhelmed by love for others. Our desire to enjoy is trumped by our desire to bless. Catch that? That's how Jesus changes us. It's not that we you know, enjoy sinful. It's that, well, if I had the choice between enjoying blessing, I'm going to bless. Which might mean I may actually sacrifice for somebody else. We give not because we want to go without, but because we don't want others to go without. We want to bless and having been given, the Philippians 2 says, the mind of Christ for those who are in Christ, for those who put their faith in Christ. Because if you have put your faith in Christ, this makes absolutely no sense to you. Why would someone do that? But for those who have confessed faith in Christ, you have the mind of Christ, and the mind of Christ says, others are more important than me. And others isn't qualified. Others isn't, well, the clean others, the nice others, the others that treat me well the others that deserve it, the others that aren't my enemies. There's a lot more about love that Jesus says that will probably make you very uncomfortable. It's others more important than yourself because our giving is motivated by love for people as Jesus, especially the brothers and sisters in Christ. Lastly, and I think most importantly, and the idea that we don't preach enough about in the church, so I'm going to preach about it now, our giving is motivated not only by love of Jesus, love for Jesus, love like Jesus, but a love to be with Jesus. Check it out. We're in Philippians again. Chapter 3. Paul again writing in prison. He says this, verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to be subject to subject all things to Himself. Our giving is motivated by a love for being with Jesus. John Piper asked an amazing question. He said, if you got to heaven and Jesus wasn't there, would you want to be there? Because what do we talk about when we talk about Jesus, right? Or when we talk about heaven? Oh, I just hope I get to fish all day. And I just you know, want to uh, be able to eat and not get fat. And we're always talking about the benefits of heaven, right? If Jesus is not there, but you can eat as much chocolate... That's not a good question probably, right? <laughs> we should have a love and a desire to be with Jesus. Because the view of the stuff of this world doesn't only change, but also our presence in this world. 
the nature of this world altogether. We must never, ever, ever, ever forget this is, this is not our home, brothers and sisters. This is not our home. The Bible calls us refugees and exiles and sojourners on earth. We are called ambassadors in a foreign land. We are called missionaries in the field. We are called citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are just visitors here. This is not our home. And this should impact how we give. Because we want to be with Jesus and we recognize where our true home is and our true citizenship is. And I will read a quote from Piper that I just have fallen in love with. Because if you begin to think with an eternal perspective of, man, I just can't wait to be with Jesus. And I'm not talking about just on your deathbed. I'm talking about now. If you keep your eyes on eternity and not just on this horizontal realm, but the vertical, constantly going, man, this, I don't know how much time I have here, but man, I can't wait to be back with Him. But while I'm here, I'm going to do as much as I can for Him. Because you and I don't know if you might walk out and get hit by a bus. You might have a heart attack down in those three cookies that you ate before the service is even over, right? You don't know. Sermon on gluttony's next week, right? Just kidding. Here's how Piper says it. Listen carefully. He says, if, if, so if this is true, if, as the Bible says, we are refugees and exiles on earth, and if our citizenship is in heaven, and if nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, and if His steadfast love is better than life, and if all hardship is working for us in the eternal weight of glory, then we will give to the winds our fears and seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We will count everything as rubbish in comparison with Christ. We will joyfully accept the plundering of our property for the sake of unpopular acts of mercy. We will choose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin and we will count the reproach of Christ great wealth than the treasures of Egypt. If we really believe that. If you really see this world for what it is and your identity for what God says it is in Christ. If we live with the eternal perspective, then we will give with an eternal perspective and we will love with an eternal perspective. So we have the love of Jesus, love for Jesus, love like Jesus, and love with Jesus. We see that right giving begins with right theology. God gave volitionally, meaning He willingly chooses to give because He loves. And so I pray as we close that our giving will be motivated by the same love. And I I hope you know this, and if you don't know me well enough to know this, I pray you'll get to know me and the elders better. Because this is supposed to function like a family. The Bible calls us a family, the house of God, which means you should know me and I should know you. You should know my kids. You should know my wife. I should know you. You should know about your kids. We should know each other. That's why we've got to keep churches small and keep planting them. But I pray that you will know that even if we were not meeting budget or we needed to raise money for some ministry, that the prayer of our elders is not that you will just simply give more or spend less. Our prayer is that you would know the love of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will change. I can't give you 
a guilt-ridden enough sermon to change you like the love of Christ can change you. Because only then, when you know the love of Christ, will your giving be driven by all those things. The love of Jesus. Why do I give? Because I love Jesus and He loves me. Why do you give? Because I want to love like Jesus loved. Why do you give? Because it's just stuff. I want to steward it well until I see Him again. So I'll close with the prayer of the Apostle Paul about his greatest hope for the church. He says this. This is out of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, and it's just a prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you, church, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to Him who is able to do more, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Paul's prayers that you would know, and my prayers that you would know the love of Christ, and that would change your giving. We start with God and what He's given and loved how He's loved us, and that will affect us. And so I invite those of you who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Every Sunday we come up to a table has some very simple things on it. It has a bowl of bread and a cup full of wine or juice. And the night Jesus was betrayed, the night He was arrested and would go to the cross, He told His disciples to do this in remembrance of Him. And what it was a memory of was the fact that his body would be broken and his blood would be shed and he would give himself in the greatest demonstration of love possible. And God, through Christ, did this. So when we saw the brokenness like we saw this week, we saw all the hatred that's expressed in the chaos of this world, that we would know love wins. That love wins. And so as you come to the table today, I pray that you not only remember what Jesus did, but to remember where your hope truly lies. And that it will change you from the inside out so much so that we'll never have to give giving sermons of any kind. Because we'll be identified as disciples who love because we're disciples of Christ. Let's pray.